Let all God's angels worship Him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes His angels winds, His servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of Your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels, ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? There's something interesting about angels. You start talking about angels, and I think people's uh, attention picks up. Uh, you know, they're kind of fascinating. And, and I think not just for Christians. Certainly Christians believe in angels. The Bible everywhere assumes that angels are real and that they're God's servants. But uh, it's not just, like I said, limited to Christians. But I think uh, lots of people are interested in angels. Uh, you know, think of television shows like Touched by an Angel. You know, popular show. People fascinated by that. Or if you'd like to date yourself, uh, does anyone remember Michael Landon's TV series, Highway to Heaven? Well, okay, they're thinking, dating yourself. It's wonderful. I don't remember that. I mean, that was before my time. But anyway, uh, you know, this whole idea of angels among us, and they seem like regular people, but they're actually messengers from God. And, and like I said, this is a, a concept that you find in other belief systems and other spiritualities. Uh, in fact... Um, uh, Gallup did a poll last year, uh, 2007, and he asked a simple question, do you believe in angels? 75% of Americans said yes. Uh, another 11% said, I don't know, maybe, but I'm not sure. It was only 14% who said, no, absolutely not, angels are hogwash. But think about it, 86% of Americans saying yes, either there are angels or I'm open to the possibility, which is really interesting because I think probably fewer than 86% of Americans are Bible-believing Christians. So that means that this openness to the supernatural is, is broader than simply church-going folk like we might consider ourselves. And, and you know, why is this, this interest in angels? And I suppose it's, it's because if angels are real, then it's kind of a connection to the God and to the supernatural. You know, God, we think of him sometimes as out there somewhere. But if angels are real, it's like something from heaven has come near to us and is right around us. And so there's, there's a sense of connection to the supernatural. When you look at the, uh, the Jewish people and at the time when the Bible was written and the few centuries before the Bible, in uh, that intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you read Jewish writings from that time, you find that at that time there was a very uh, robust, well-developed sort of speculation about the angels. And they thought about the layers of angels, and this angel was in charge of that angel, and how angels were in charge of nations and kings. And there's all this speculation about what was going on in the angelic realm. So I don't think it's just us or our time, but there's something interesting about this topic. So the writer of Hebrews wants to talk about angels and yes, they are interesting, but what Hebrews wants to tell us this morning is that God has spoken. And He's spoken in a way that's greater than any angel or any supernatural being. God has spoken through His Son. 
You know, look back at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So Hebrews wants to draw our attention to the fact that God is still speaking. God has spoken to us. And this time it's through Jesus who is greater than any angel, any other spokesman. Because who were angels in the Old Testament? They were first and foremost God's messengers. In fact, the word angel in Greek, angelos, means messenger. So an angel is essentially a heavenly messenger. God says, angel, I want you to go tell Mary. Uh, that she's going to have a son. I want you to go speak to Elizabeth. I want you to go tell the disciples. Uh, Sorry, I'll just see this. Thanks. But I I want you to go tell the disciples that uh, the stone has been rolled away and that Jesus is raised from the dead. So um, throughout the Bible, uh, angels are God's messengers. And it can be easy to become interested or fixated on them. But Hebrews wants to tell us that God has spoken in a new way through His Son. And so that's what our passage is this morning. This morning we're looking at verses 5 to 14. And it's essentially a collection of Old Testament texts arguing the point that God has spoken through Jesus and He's far superior to any other means of communication, even angels, as cool and interesting and and neat as they may be, that God has spoken through His Son. So you have seven Old Testament texts all linked together. Let me give you kind of a cool Bible nerd word this morning, all right? Uh, When you have a collection of texts like this, Bible uh, scholars call this a katina. All right, not Katrina, not cantina, katina. Okay, this is a katina. It's the Latin word that means chain. So it's a chain of verses all chained together. It's just seven verses from the Old Testament. You see they start in verse 5 and go down to verse 13. And all of these Old Testament passages are being used to prove the point that Jesus is God's superior revelation. That if you really want to know God and hear from God, then ultimately you need to look to Christ because God has spoken in Jesus. Uh, This catena of verses is broken up into three subsections. The way you know each subsection is because it begins with a reference to the angels. So the first subsection is verse 5. It says, For to which of the angels did God ever say... Verse 7 is the next subsection. In speaking of the angels, he says. And the last subsection is verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say? So you have this list of seven verses with three sections to it. And each section is going to focus on a different way in which Jesus is superior to the angels. Okay, so you have kind of the structure of this passage. And then, so I want to just, here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to kind of walk you through these verses show how Jesus is superior to the angels, and then I want to talk about, so what does that mean for us today? And what does that mean in terms of our real lives today as we think about how to relate to God? So let's just walk through the passage real quick. The first subsection is verses 5 and 6. And notice it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Jesus is superior to the angels because God says to him, you are my son. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you'll hopefully remember that that sonship language, when God says to Jesus, you are my son, uh, it doesn't mean he's adopting him like he wasn't his son before, but it's the language of kingship. Do you remember that? That when when God put his king on the throne in Jerusalem... There would be this ceremony and he would say, you are my son. You have a special relationship to me. So it's a way of saying that Jesus is the king. 
And if you look back at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, that first quotation is from Psalm chapter 2. Do you remember that from last Sunday if you were here? Where, where the king was installed in Jerusalem in Psalm chapter 2, and that is now applied to Jesus, the king of the universe, not just the king of Jerusalem. Or look again in verse 5. It says, again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now that's a quotation from the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. And I'd like to just take you there. So we're going to kind of dive into some of these Old, texts, uh, Old Testament texts a little. So put a bookmark here in Hebrews. And turn back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's on page 301. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7 is a kingship text. It's a, it's a very important passage. Actually, it's one of those Old Testament passages you should be familiar with as, as you develop your Bible knowledge. It's an important passage. It's, it's called the, the Davidic Covenant. It's the passage where God made a promise to King David, made a covenant with him, that David would forever have a descendant on his throne. So if you look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11, a new paragraph there that says, so God's talking to David. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. You're going to have descendants. And when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up for you offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Here we go. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now in the original Old Testament context, who is the immediate fulfillment of that prophecy? was Solomon. Solomon was the son of David who built the, the temple and he was the king who came after David. The problem was his kingdom didn't last forever. Eventually David's descendants ruled over Jerusalem and then they came to an end and then there was no longer David's descendants. And so during that period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the Jews began to wonder, now when is God going to fulfill this promise? I mean, God promised David that David would have a kingdom and a descendant. Where is that person? And so began the hope of the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be the descendant of David who would fulfill these promises. So when we turn to Hebrews chapter 1, go back there now to verse 5, when it says, I will be his father, he will be my son, what it's saying is that Jesus is that king that God had promised. Jesus is a descendant of David whom God had promised. And He has come now and He is going to reign at God's right hand. God has spoken by the King, Jesus. But verse 6, the angels, what does it say about them? It says, when God brings His firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. So who are the angels? Well, they're just kind of like Jesus' groupies. They're just there to worship Him. And to praise Him. You know, why are you so fired about angels? What about the Son? He's the King. He's coming to His throne when the Son comes into the world. Now, when it's, this is a little interesting thing. You see where it says there, verse 6, when God brings His firstborn into the world? When I first read that, I thought that was talking about when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, then the angels came. But I don't think that's what it's talking about. The context here is about Jesus' enthronement in heaven after His resurrection. Not only that, but that word world is a word that doesn't mean the physical world that we see. It's talking about an inhabited realm. And the word appears later in chapter 2, verse 5, where it says, It is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come. 
So it's talking about not this physical world, but the heavenly world. So what I'm saying is, in verse 6, I think what we're talking about here is a scene where Jesus returns to heaven after his resurrection. That Jesus has been crucified, he's buried, he's raised from the dead, he takes the disciples out to a hill outside uh, of uh, Jerusalem and, and they see Jesus ascend back into heaven. But from heaven's perspective, Jesus comes into heaven and the angels see Him and and He's robed again with His royal robes of glory. The Son who had put aside His glory to become a human now takes upon Himself His glory again. And His scepter is put back in His hand and His crown is on His head and He begins to walk down the aisle of heaven toward the throne of the Father to take His seat as King of the universe. And there in heaven, the Father says to Him, This is My Son. And all the angels fall down and worship Him. That's the scene. To put all those verses together. Jesus is the reigning King of the universe. And who are the angels? They're just worshiping Him. So why are you so fascinated about angels for? Why are you so fascinated in spiritual beings and spirituality when God's Son has spoken and He's the King of the universe? So that's the first section. The second section contrasts God the Son as the Creator, the eternal Creator, and angels as just created beings. Look at verse 7, the start of the second section. It says, in speaking of the angels, he says, He makes His angels winds, His servants flames of fire. In other words... Angels are just created beings. God can do with them whatever He darn well pleases. If He wants to make them a wind, He can do that. If He wants to make wind into an angel, whatever. They're just created beings. They're underneath the authority and power of God. But the Son is not a created being. He is the Creator Himself. If you look at uh, verse 8, about the Son, He says, so the angels are just winds and fire, but about the Son, He says, Your throne, O God will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So he's talking about God. He says, your throne, O God. But he's talking about the Son. The Son is God. Now, this is an interesting quotation, too. It's from uh, a psalm in the Old Testament. It's from Psalm chapter 45. And I'd like to just point this one out to you as well. Put a bookmark here. Again, let's turn back to Psalm chapter 45. Psalm 45 is an interesting psalm. It's another royal psalm. It's a psalm about the king of Israel. But it's kind of cool. It's a wedding psalm. It's a weird psalm. It's a psalm celebrating the wedding of the king. And in this wedding psalm about the king is this interesting line where the king is called God. It's very interesting. Look at Psalm 45. Verse 1. It's on page, uh, I'm sorry, it's on page 558. Here's how it starts. Verse 1 of Psalm 45. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. So here's a, like a poet laureate of the court. And he's on, on the occasion of the king's wedding, he's going to write a poem. And here it is. Verse 2. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. And then here we go. There's our quote. Your throne, O God, will last forever. Wait a minute. 
I thought we were talking about the king. And suddenly we're talking about God, your throne, oh God. But all the yours up to this point have been talking about the king. What, what, what is this? Is this the king or is this God? Which one is it? And the answer of Hebrews is, yes, it is. The answer of Hebrews is, it is the king who is God, which is the Son, Jesus Christ. So even here in in Psalm, we have intimations that Jesus, the Son, is both divine and human. So if you go back to Hebrews now, you see that this comment about God is applied directly to the Son. So angels, they're just created beings like fire and wind. But this Son is on a throne that lasts forever and ever. He is God. And it's even more explicit in the next quotation, verses 10 to 12 in Hebrews 1. Here we go. In the beginning, O Lord, You laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of Your hands. So here we have a psalm, Psalm 102, that's about Creator God, Jehovah God Almighty, making the universe, and it is applied directly to Jesus, the Son of God. That this passage is about Jesus, the Creator. I mean, you can't get a higher view of Jesus than that. That's as high as it gets to say, who is Jesus? He's the one who made us. But not only is He the one who made us, but at the end of the universe, when time shall be no more, He will be there to wrap it up. Look at verse 11. They will perish, the heavens and the earth and the mountains and Mount Washington and all the white mountains and the Sierra Nevadas and the Andes and they're all going to perish someday. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. I love that. That someday the heavens are going to be changed like a garment. You know, have you ever done a quick change? Like someone comes over to your house and they're like, hey, you want to go out? And you're like, oh yeah, sure, let me just throw on some different clothes. You run upstairs, whoosh, 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 whoosh. You know, a minute and a half later, uh, or maybe for some of us five minutes later, you're, you're just changed, and you come back down and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. And it's saying, that's how easy it's going to be for God to change the universe. It's like changing clothes. It's nothing. The universe can come and go, but He remains the same, verse 12. His years will never end. He's eternal. He existed before the universe became, and someday when God does something completely new, He's going to exist after that. You know, So why are we listening to angels? They're just created beings. But God has spoken through His Son, who is the creator of the universe, eternal forever and ever, back into uh, eternity in the past, into the eternity in the future. He is the King and the Creator and the One upon His throne. And God has spoken through God the Son. You're like, wait, God's spoken through God? Yeah, I know. It's the Trinity. It's really confusing. I don't understand the Trinity. Okay? Some of you understand the Trinity. Explain it to me because I don't get it. But this is what we find in the Bible. And why should we understand God? Why do we think that God should make complete perfect sense to us? You know? I mean, would it be God if I could say I completely understand the substance and essence of God? I mean, I think the whole point is He's God. He's one God in three persons, and it's a great mystery. Uh, and so we worship Him because He is beyond us. Uh, he's, he's a different creation. We're like two-dimensional beings being talked to by a three-dimensional being. You know, of course we don't understand three dimensions. How can you be three dimensions? There's only two dimensions. That's all we know. But God is, is you know, infinite dimensions. He, he's so much more complex than we can even understand. And then it concludes in verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So we have Jesus the King versus the angels who worship Him. And then we have Jesus the Eternal Creator versus angels who are just the creation. And again we have Jesus the Reigning King versus angels who are just His servants. And so we have in verse 13 a quotation from Psalm 110. Are you familiar with Psalm 110? You need to be familiar with Psalm 110. Here's why. It is the most quoted and alluded to Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Did you know that? More than any other passage, uh, verse in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, verse 1, is more quoted and more alluded to in the New Testament than any other one. So we're not like Psalm 10. I don't know that. I know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But what's Psalm 110? Well, early Christians would have all known Psalm chapter one, uh, 110, verse 1. And let me show it to you. Look at Psalm 110, verse 1. This is another one of these weird passages that doesn't make sense at first reading. Psalm 110, verse 1. It's on page 603. You should be familiar with this. It says in verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord. This is David. King David's writing this. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Okay, so you got that? So King David is saying, The Lord, Yahweh, Creator God, said to my Lord. Like, who are you talking about, David? You're the king. And I was like, you and then God. There's not anyone in between. But he's saying, the, the Creator God said to my Lord. Like, who is that? Who, who are all, there's someone extra here in the picture that I didn't know was supposed to be there. Who's this extra person in the story? This other Lord that David is referring to as Lord. And then notice, what if that's not crazy enough, look what the Lord says to his Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Okay. Basic Israelite Old Testament monotheism. There's one God on one throne. And He doesn't share it with anybody. There's not a pantheon of gods. There's not polytheistic gods all over the place. There's just one God who reigns. And this God here is saying, sit at my right hand, which is tantamount to saying, Reign with me on my throne is what that basically means. Sit at the place of privilege and authority. So, so the Lord is saying to someone else, sit with me as God? I mean, this is, just, this is completely contrary to basic monotheism of the Old Testament. God doesn't share His throne with anybody because no one's worthy to sit on His throne. And yet here, the Lord is saying to David's Lord, sit at my right hand, sit with me, reign with me. I'm going to make the whole world a footstool for your feet, all your enemies. Like, who is this? And so the early Christians read that and they said, we know who that is. That's Jesus. That's, we get, it makes sense. Because He's the Lord, but He's also the Lord. He's God, but He's also the second person of the Trinity. It's making sense to them. This whole inter-divine conversation, which seems so strange, from just a purely Old Testament perspective, in light of God's fuller revelation in the New Testament, suddenly these passages come alive. And so the Christians in the early church, this is one of their proof texts. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Their proof text was Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. How long? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. There's the hope of Jesus' second coming. So it's like the whole thing about Jesus right there. One verse. It's great. Now verse 14, the contrast. Going back to Hebrews 1. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? 
So why are we listening to angels? Why are we listening to anybody? I mean, the Son is the King. The angels are just worshipers. The Son is the eternal Creator. The angels are just creation. The Son is the reigning at the right hand King and the angels are just servants. They're sent to serve us. So we need to listen to the Son of God, to Jesus. See, our tendency as human beings, whenever we make a move toward the spiritual or toward the supernatural, our tendency is, is to gravitate toward what, what I would call intermediary beings. You know, uh, superstitions, things like angels that are closer to us. I mean, angels are out there today. If you look at some of the, the spirituality literature, the New Age literature, it talks about healing through angels and guidance by angels. I mean, people really are looking to angels today in some of the ways that Jews in the first century were doing. But, but it's not limited to that. It, it takes all kinds of forms. I mean, people look into astrology. You know, does anyone here ever check their horoscopes? Why do we do that? Do we really believe that the stars are communicating supernatural information about the direction of our lives. That's what astrology is. That's, why, that's what a horoscope is. It's a way of saying that the stars are intermediaries that are communicating and speaking to us, and we just have to have the right person to read it. Uh, wh why do people go to psychics and tarot card readers and um, you know, channelers and, and mediums and spiritists? Why do we go to those things? Because we, we see them as an intermediary who can connect us to the supernatural like an angel. They're a go-between who can communicate the unseen supernatural world to us and give us guidance today. People are open to that today. We're in a postmodern culture where people are open to the supernatural. But it's not just out there. I mean, I think it's in the church too. This is just a human tendency. You know, you look in the church in, in different branches and it takes different forms. You know, I think of some examples, not, not everyone, but some examples in Pentecostal or charismatic churches in some cases where prophecy and a word from the Lord becomes so important that that becomes like the whole culture of the church is trying to get a new word from the Lord and it's sort of a chasing after. What's the latest revelation? What's the latest word from God? And certain people are elevated because they have the word of the Lord and everyone kind of can follow after them and listen to them. And it happens. Not in every case, but in some cases. I think of the Roman Catholic Church, how in some segments there's an elevation of Mary to a point where she's an intermediary who speaks for God, Right? You know, Mary appeared here. Mary was over in Madrigori. Mary said this. People, Mary is not saying anything today. Do you know where Mary is? She is in the presence of Jesus, worshiping her Savior who died for her sins to rescue her. She is in the... She didn't have time for us. She's worshiping God. Right? You know? We, we have Jesus. You know, what did Mary say at the wedding of Cana? She said to the servants, Hey, this is my son. Listen to him. If she would say anything to you today, it would be, Listen to him. Listen to him. You know, he's the Savior. And I think even in evangelical circles, we can find mediators. Because this is a natural human impulse, part of our fallen nature. I was trying to think of who our mediators are in evangelical circles. I think sometimes it's our Bible teachers. Well, James Dobson says... You know, Chuck Colson says, John Piper says, ooh, that's a little close to home for me. Um, you know, it, you know we, we, have, we have certain Bible teachers that we listen to. Bible teachers are great. You know, I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not great, but I'm a Bible teacher. I, I think God gives Bible teachers to the church as one of the spiritual gifts in the body to help. But, but here's the problem. There comes a point sometimes where we're tempted to close the Bible for ourselves and say, well... 
Pastor Jeremy said, Pastor Seth said, Pastor Chris said. And we stop going directly to the king himself to hear what he has to say. And, and we start just depending upon a human being. That's a de facto mediator to whom we are now listening to someone less than Christ for our pure information feed about what God has to say to us. Why are we drawn to mediators? Why are we drawn toward intermediaries? And I, this is my hypothesis. Let me just throw it out there see what you think. I think it's because mediators like angels or you know, pastors or other people, they're not demanding of us. You don't have to obey a mediator. They're interesting, they're neat, they're cool, but they're not Lord. They're not Lord. If you were to go to a tarot card reader, I mean, don't, please, but if you were, and the tarot card reader to lay down the cards, you know, and oh, that's, you know, I got that card and that card, you know, and you get your reading, it's not demanding upon your life. You don't have to obey anybody. There's no conviction of sin in your life. It's just kind of interesting information. But when we come into the presence of the Son, if, if we take seriously who Jesus really is as the King of the universe and the Creator of the universe and the God of the universe, now when He speaks, it's not just interesting supernatural information. I now must obey, and that's what we don't like. Let's get down to it. This is what we don't like about the idea of God. It's not that there's problems with science or there's philosophical problems. I mean, you know, you can talk about those. But let's get really honest. Why don't we like God? It's because the idea of somebody to whom I must answer for my life. This is why when the Israelites stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and God began speaking to them from Mount Sinai, they said to Moses, Ah, you go talk to him. Moses, you be the mediator. We'll wait here and you go tell us what he has to say because we don't like it when he talks. We don't like it when he talks. right? And so Moses goes, okay, up to the mountain. And while he's gone, what happens? Boom, they make a golden calf. Ah, this is a God we can handle. The God of our making. The God of our creation. The God who is safe and will give us what we want in our way. And that's what it is. But God, as God is, now I can't just, I can't tame that God. And I must obey that God. And so I think we shy away from this understanding of Jesus because... It's threatening. Like we talked about last Sunday, sometimes we like to shrink Jesus down and make Him puny. Or this Sunday, we like to just replace Him with something else as our focus. But when we come to see Him who He is, oh, it, it undoes us. But here's the good news, that this same Jesus who is God and Maker and Creator, who brings us to our knees in humility, who makes us realize that we are a sinful people, this same Jesus is the one who became a human being. He is the ultimate mediator. Because this great God who should cause us to tremble before His holiness is the same God who walked our, in our shoes and died for us on a cross to become like us so that we could be forgiven. He is the ultimate mediator. And so why do we need another? We have Jesus. And so my prayer for us is that we would be people who listen to Jesus, that South Shore Baptist Church would be a church that whatever else happens and whoever else is your pastor or whatever is your Bible study leader, that ultimately we would listen to Jesus through His Word, that His Word would be ultimate in our understanding of who God is. So let me just close with a homework assignment. 
I have a homework assignment for you all. You have to come back next week and report. It'll be a pop quiz. Um, just kidding. But here's the homework assignment. The homework assignment is, I want this week for our church in a, a focused, fresh way to listen to Jesus. That's my homework assignment. Here's how we're going to do it. It says two parts. Part number one. Very easy. I want you this week to read the Bible. That's it. I want you to read the Bible. Uh, I want you to pick... Some, you're like, where? Where do I read? Oh, I don't know. Read Hebrews. I don't, read whatever, whatever you want. Read um, you know, Mark or, or read Ephesians. So pick something from the New Testament. Ask someone for advice. But pick a book of the Bible. You say, how much should I read? Should I read one chapter, three chapters? Doesn't matter. I know, for you type A's, this is going to drive you crazy. But there's not, there's not a, a limit. I, I just want you to read for ten minutes, read for half an hour. Maybe you're, you're commuting and you've got ten minutes here or there at a lunch break. I just want you to read the Bible as far as you get. And what I want you to do is when you come to read the Bible, I want you to say a little prayer in your own words. And it, it just goes something like, Jesus, I want to hear you through your word. I want you to speak to my heart. I want you to convict me of my sins, encourage me where I need encouragement. Whatever you want to say, I'm not going to give an agenda. You speak to me through your word. And just want you to pray that prayer. And this week, like five days out of seven, I want you to just read and listen and, and, and think about God's word. Um, see, the point is, I want us to hear God's word as God's word. And you can do this if you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian. I'm even not sure you believe all this. You're one of those 11% where you're like, I don't know if there's angels or not. I don't know if I believe any of this stuff. doesn't matter. Read. Try it. See if it's real. Pick it up. Read it. You don't own a Bible? Take one from the pew rack home with you. It's yours. Special gift. It's free. Uh, take it home and read it. And just see what happens. And for those of us who have been Christians for 30 years, I think we need to do this. Because, you know, when you've been a Christian a long time, something happens about the Bible. Reading the Bible can become like brushing your teeth. It's like something you have to do. And a lot of times we skip. <laughs> you know? And then we're like, uh, my soul's getting kind of placky and greasy. I better do this again. Read the Bible. So I'm supposed to do it. And we've forgotten why we read the Bible. It's so that we can hear the voice of the King. We can read the words of our Savior. And not just words on a page, but as the Holy Spirit takes those words and drives the sword into our heart. The only sword that when it's driven into your heart can actually heal you is this sword. And that's the first step. Read the Bible. Then second step is, I want you sometime this week to talk about what you read with somebody else in the church. That's it. Maybe a Bible study. Maybe a friend for coffee. Maybe a, you do it as a family. You're like, all right, we're going to do this. And on Friday, we're all going to sit around the dinner table and, and talk about what we learned. Okay? Maybe you do it in your youth group. It doesn't matter. But the point is that reading the Bible is not just a personal, private exercise, but it's something we do in community as a body as we learn from each other and, and see. Say, so, you know, I, I thought, you know, I was reading, when I got to Hebrews chapter 4, this one verse jumped out at me and I was really convicted about this. And other people can say, yeah, that's, that's really good. Or, you know what, I think you totally misread that verse. <laughs> you know, or whatever. But we need to talk about it with each other and as we listen to the Word of God. Because angels are real, but you know what? God has spoken in a fresh way. He has spoken by His Son, whom He has chosen. Let us listen to the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise You as ruler, maker, and king of the universe, God over all.
And we thank you that, Jesus, you came and died for us. And we pray that as we read your word this week, Jesus, that you would speak to us. That if you are real, that if all this is true, that you might speak powerfully to us through your word. God, we pray that your Bible would not become stale or routine to us, but that we would come to it every time, hopefully every day, with a desire to sit at the feet of the throne of God and to hear him speak. And that, God, you would challenge us. We, we thank you that you're not a tame God, but that you're Lord. And, God, we just pray that you would exercise your sovereignty in our lives. And so be with us this week, Lord. And we look forward to hearing how you will speak through your word to us this week. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You take your uh, song folder. We have a closing song. And I, we specifically chose this song because I think it's a fitting conclusion to what we've been talking about this morning. So would you uh, take your song folder, stand, and let's sing Speak, O Lord, and make this our closing prayer to the Lord. Oh, 
church is built and the earth is filled with your glory and by grace we'll stand on your promises and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us speak O Lord till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory after the worship service our uh, prayer team is over here the basses and the gusto sins would love to